From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Ruth Gietzkowitz, and on today's show, I plan to talk with a talented artist about how she established her career. Instead, we ended up having a pretty deep discussion on love, loss, and caring for ill family members. Shelly Wapniak is someone you immediately feel comfortable talking to. I've had some of the most intense discussions of my life while talking to her back, and she's facing a wall or canvas or whatever medium she's working on. She's an artist, body painter, and deep thinker, and this conversation you're about to listen to really surprised me. Quick note, there are some very minor spoilers for This Is Us in this episode. Skip ahead about a minute when I mention it in the interview. I grew up in Brooklyn in like Graves and Midwood area. Uh, Many people would refer to it as very close to Flatbush, um, but there's still controversy over what you would call it today. And I was small, imagine that, teeny tiny, uh, small as my class, of course, shy, insecure and quiet, I think because of the height, but could have just been my personality. Um, definitely introverted. And I love to draw. Always, like from a little kid. Yes. Do you remember the first time that you were like, oh, I can make things like I can, my hands can create things that other people can't. You know what? I remember drawing a really um, not well done woman dress princess thing. I mean, we're talking about the dress that like trails on forever and ever off the side. You know, when children draw triangle dresses. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much that I was good at it necessarily at first. It was more that I was in awe with my parents' ability. To me, they were the most amazing artists in the entire world, and I wanted to be just like them and strive to be that good, and I hated class. Like, I really hated school so much, and I decided that I wasn't going to be a secretary or a teacher or a ballerina, because those were the only three jobs that a woman could do, so I had to be an artist. What kind of artists were your parents? And that was a joke, by the way, the only three jobs. It's like all I knew of when I was in preschool. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we've all been through that phase. <laughs> I remember being really upset. I went through a very serious firefighter phase. And Me someone, too. oh my God, it was super intense. And I remember someone telling me, like like another girl in my class, I must have been in like pre-1A. So what's that, like five years old? And someone being like, only boys be- get to be firefighters. And right, I was I wanted- so upset. I'm with you 100%. I want to be a police officer and a firefighter. Yeah. And everyone told me that boys could only do it. And I, I mean, I didn't believe them 100%. I was like, I'm going to challenge this. But then being four foot nine and a half, you know, the weight of the firefighter gear seemed kind of intimidating. <laughs> it's a little impractical. No, I, I've thought about it still to this day. And every time I do, I'm like, Shelly, really, you're going to trudge upstairs? Like, you hate being that hot. Like, you really hate being hot. <laughs> that's true actually yeah I probably would make an awful firefighter now but as a kid I wanted it really really badly um yeah the other thing that I remember also like talking about careers when I was in this actually is not even so long ago when I was in I believe it was 11th grade um we had a career night where people could bring in not like you the 
our English teacher, I think it was, asked us to write down what our top three career choices were. And then the school would take the top, I think, five or six most popular um, and bring in women who were already in that field to speak and like, I guess, give people an idea of what it would be like to be in that um, environment. And one of my friends, as a joke, wrote down like, mommy, teacher, wife. And I remember reading that and being like, and she was telling me like, isn't this so funny? And I was like, girl, that's so not funny. Like, I remember thinking that like, if this was 20 years ago, those would be your actual options. And I'm so like, and it bothered me so much that she even joked about that. And then the other thing that I remember about that career night is that they brought in someone who they called an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh, wait, let me listen to what this chick has to say. Um, except that she hadn't actually built a business. She like her parents had built a business and she just ran it now. And I now know that like, that's a big job. And that's that, you know, there is it's, it, you know, running a business is intense, but I remember being so upset at being like, you didn't build a business, you inherited this thing. And like, and I'm, and I'm not interested in what you have to say. And I completely ignored everything that you had to say, which was probably not the best thing on my part. But as a kid, I totally understand where you'd come from there. Like now as an adult, you understand what, pa- what you can do with your parents' business and so you can grow it. Right. Um, especially as an entrepreneur, you understand that now, but as a young, impressionable woman who's looking to make waves and start something from scratch, I 100% how you're like, how you f- would find that discouraging and yeah, so frustrating. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so frustrating. Um, but I'm curious, going back a little bit, were your parents artists? Uh, they, I mean, they're artistic. My mother got her degree in teaching because uh, her mother gave her two choices, secretary or teacher. Right. So she had her master's in teaching and she did it for a few years. And then as soon as she had my oldest brother, she stopped. And I mean, thank God, we only had her for a very short time in our lives. So looking back, I really do appreciate that she was a stay-at-home mom that was with us. And we really got to soak in a lot of personal time with her. So, you know, it, you know, God works in mysterious ways kind of thing. It, you know, worked out. Um, my father was very, very talented as well, uh, but he wanted to be an artist. He almost got a, he got a scholarship, I think, to art school, so he said. However, he was colorblind, so and that was a weird choice, yeah. like a weird path. He ended up becoming a te- dentist, and he would sculpt teeth, and I'd watch him. I used to assist with him, and he would sculpt the teeth to perfect replicas of what the original looked like, and people recognized the artistry in it. I did anyway, but I know that his patients often would. They're like, wow, this looks like a tooth. This is crazy. Where I'd seen other dentists and they would just create a chunk, like just enough so that if you bit down, there wasn't any, you know, um, high spots or low spots, whatever, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same. Right. Your father was really sculpting teeth. Yeah. It's cool too, because my younger brother does it now and I watch what he does and it's really, really fun. He'll like post pictures of of his molds, his cast and his, um, you know, the dentures, and it's just really cool to, like, watch how, how good he's gotten at it as well. That's really great. Um, if you don't mind my asking, how old were you when your mother passed away? I was turning 11. Wow. What, what was that like? What, like, was she sick before? Was it sudden? Like, what, at, at 11, you're, you're fragile, and then your whole world collapses. 
Well, so, my whole world was about her being ill in my mind. I was very sensitive. And I'm actually noticing it in other nieces and nephews I have. I'm recognizing a certain family trait in that re- regard. I, for years, my whole world felt like it was about that. Um, not that my parents made it about that necessarily. I think that's who I was by nature. Like, I was very consumed with the fact that she was sick and she was going to leave us and just watching her slowly deteriorate and different things she went through. You know, my siblings and I still talk about it sometimes. So it was a slow process. And I actually always say that I don't know what I would do if someone in my family passed suddenly because we've never had that. We've only had people with long drawn out illnesses. So we've always had time to say goodbye and reconcile it and really digest what's going on. However, um, it's painful, um, and the process is definitely agonizing for both the person going through it and the people witnessing it and experiencing it, um, your proxy or whatever. But I don't know any other way right now. Um, that's just how it's always been with our family, and that's a, a jinx on that. I mean, not that I don't, I don't, I couldn't even say which one's better or worse. I just know that we had time to say goodbye. We had time to reconcile what's happening. Right. Uh, have time to I guess they had time to get there you know they have time to process it yes um so painful during the process losing the purple person I said purple not the purple the person (laughs) is is I think I think but I like I said I don't have anything to compare it to I think it's an easier process um with the death itself right Uh, like when 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 the final you know when when the final death happens that's not a surprise. It's right. almost like, um, I, I have a close family member now who's quite sick and the diagnosis, which was a little bit of, uh, coming up on a year ago now, was absolutely devastating. Um, you, like abs- absolutely 100% devastating. And then immediately after that, there was the okay, well, you know, he's not dying immediately. We need to, we need to go to treatments. We need to, um, you know, there's going to be a surgery and then there's going to be um, treatments and doctor's appointments and all of that. And then in, in a weird way, my family has always been very close, but I think that it made us even closer um, because we all rallied around, you know, this family member's illness and, um, and taking care of it. And you know, now a year later when things are still progressing and it's still, it's still so hard. Um, it's not as shocking in a way. And there have been times over the past year that like I've said to my husband things like, Oh, you know, you're, you, you were so little when, when some of your family members passed away, like you didn't really get what was going on or he had, you know, family members who passed away suddenly. And I was like, you're so lucky that you just had that. And he was like, I had a diagnosis and then there was no person to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? Like the same devastation that I had, um, when this family member was diagnosed, my husband had that when his family members passed away right. and then there was, and then that person is not there any, anymore. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like, both situations suck. I did did hear something recently on a TV show, so who knows if it's actually factual, but it makes sense from everything I've ever heard about love. They say that um, the more you do for a person, the more you you love them, right? Right. The best way to make someone fall in love with you is ask them to do you a favor, you know, let them do something for you. 
So what happens is the person you're taking care of, you're, you're running around, you're doing things for them over and over for years or whatever, how long the, it is like this. And they say the pain of losing them is that much harder because you've developed such an intense love for them because of all that you've done for them. Right, like the bond so, is that much stronger. Yeah, so there is that. And um, I have been accused, my family has been accused by an in-law, and I do not think she's wrong at all, that we sort of snap into this weird hyperdrive. Like it's almost like Munchausen syndrome by proxy, but not, because I know what that diagnosis is, it's horrible. <laughs> but, right. but when someone is ill in our family, we almost like, it's, it's our go-to. Like that's, we snap into our best selves. We, but not, it wasn't a compliment, really. It was sort of like a, we don't know how else to be. That is our comfort space, like taking right. care of Like you're so, you're feeling each other's pain viscerally. Yes. And like, we know we respond, but she's like a little too well. Like we, that, that's when we, we go into hyperdrive and like, we're, we're effective and good, but like, we, we should, we shouldn't shine so well. Like right. it's not normal, but yeah, I may be messing up how she explained it, but. Do you watch the it. show This Is Us? Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. But you don't understand that show. Like I, I can't even with that show. One of the characters <laughs> is my sister who passed away like, to a T and it, I am a blubbering mess every wow. single freaking episode. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, same, same, first of all. And, and I don't even have that much of like a connection to it. Um, I mean the dad and, too, the dad really is like my dad, except for the drinking Minus the alcohol, the alcoholism. Okay. I have to put a disclaimer on this episode that there are, this is us spoilers in here, but what you said about your family, like all coming together, there's always that point in the episode um, or like in the season when um, Miguel and Toby and Beth are like, oh, this is a Pearson thing. Like we can't, we can't get into that because they're just going to close up around themselves and, and be in their own space. And it kind of sounds like what you're describing with your siblings that you are like you just become this this tighter unit and sometimes other people get like closed off oh I didn't even picture that I wonder if that's true it could be I mean we love our in-laws we really do um but yeah I suppose there is I mean we definitely have our own unit that we keep to ourselves and like we have our own like little chat group and I suppose I didn't even think of that element of it but that must be true. I mean, sometimes it's r- r- rallying around them, but still, I suppose, yeah. Wow, I gotta watch that. It's so good. <laughs> it's such a great show. Highly recommend to anyone who's listening and hasn't watched it. Start from the beginning. We haven't, we actually haven't really even spoiled that much. Um, start from the beginning and you will love it. Um, okay, so you're- Well, we do, to, to just, just to clarify, we do lean on our in-laws a lot. Yeah, I'm um, sure. You have to. You have to, I'm sure. Just the same way that the Pearsons do, though. Like, they, they are also, like, they're so super involved. And oh, that's true, and they yeah. do. Okay. Like, it's, it's <laughs> when, when you were just describing that, I was like, oh, wait, they're the Pearsons. I get it. Um, which is why that show is so good, by the way, because it's so damn realistic that you're like, like, there are conversations that happen in that show that I'm like, yeah, I've said that to my mom. Like, I've had that conversation with her. Or I know that, like, it is some, someone I know has had, oh. It's so good. Okay. Anyways, I'm done fangirling. Um, so you know what you have to see if you haven't already see Brothers and Sisters. What's it's that on? Much older, but okay. it's the same. It's this huge family dynamic, and the mom reminds me of my stepmother so much. Every time she'd be like, "I'm the mother. You don't listen to me." <laughs> <laughs> and I crack up. 
up and I'm like dying. Okay. And it just reminds me of her so much. Um, but like the whole family, it's this kind of family sibling dynamic as well. It's not the same, not as good, but it's good. Okay, I will. I'm definitely gonna look that up. Um, so you mentioned your stepmom. How old were you when your father remarried? I was still 11. Oh, how was that? <laughs> um, complicated, especially now. Complicated now the most because the most, yeah, that's proper English. Um, complicated because I am very, very grateful for my family. I love them. I We are a big, dynamic, ridiculous bunch. I have 19, 19 nieces and nephews. And Whoa, that's a brood. Yeah, so it's hard to, like, be all, like, you married my daughter seven months after my mother passed away when, like, you have all this amazing that came after it. Right. Um, and it hurts my sibling, my sibling's feelings when I, like, get all broody and teenage about it. So it's complicated. Um, yeah. You know, what does they say, like, hindsight's 2020, which is perfect for this year. Um, and also, you know, you know, bless the broken road that led me straight to you. Like yeah. it's just, it's complicated, but right. um, it worked out. Thank yeah. God. So. so what was it like blending the family? Cause what, how many siblings are you total, I guess, between both? Like what's the breakdown like? So there's, I have three biological siblings, uh, two sisters and a brother. The brother's the oldest. And I have then an older sister and a younger sister. Although at this point, you couldn't tell who's older or younger anymore so much. <laughs> um, I think I seem like the youngest to most people. And well, that's probably just because of your height. People think that I'm like... Height, personality, I'm a little bit sillier, painty, artist, uh, free, freestyle, you know. Isn't it so frustrating that people assume that creative people are irresponsible? <laughs> Doesn't that yeah. drive you crazy? It does, it does. Everyone thinks I'm free-spirited. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's how I care like ca categorize myself so much, but I get free spirit from people a lot. People just assume you're free spirited if you're artistic or if you're living your life as an artist and they feel like you have to be because you're a risk taker, you're an entrepreneur, right. you're doing it yourself, so you must be. Right. Um, I was like, if I was free spirit, I would be like gallivanting all over the, like, you know, Europe or something every other right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not free spirited. I don't do this. <laughs> I think I yeah. have a worked idea of what free spirited is. That might be it. Yeah, I might be free spirited, just like not my like stereotypical idea of what it should be. You know, I feel I like some so. moving character who's an artist who's like off in some villa and I'm like, no, that's not me. I'm home with my family, so I must not be. Right. Anyway, um, I think we had trouble seeing ourselves. I'm like, no, we really are. I think they're probably right. I just like, I'm in denial about it. <laughs> um, so wait, back to the question. Um, and yeah, then, your siblings. Right, and then there are five step sisters, three step sisters, sorry, three step sisters, two step brothers. So there are five of them. Um, that's the breakdown. And uh, the dynamic. Okay, so the dynamic was interesting. Uh, when we first, when, before my parents got married my siblings and I my biological siblings used to we used to fight like cats and dogs I mean we'd play together and we'd hang out but we were like we'd also terrorize each other I mean violent we were like crazy rough kids my dad kind of liked that about us I mean obviously they don't want us tearing our hair out and stuff but he always because we were small he wanted us to be tough and like bruisers and like not bruisers literally like punching you know leaving bruises but he wanted us to be tough and like hold our own and I think there was like a, we're kind of encouraged to be a little bit wilder um, than most parents would encourage their kids to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you want us to be able to be like survivor, survivors, you know, 
one way right. or the other. And they knew we were going through a lot too. So I think there was a lot of le lenience, you know, towards right. that. Just because we had a lot of stuff we had to work out and we were supposed to self take care of that. He wasn't into therapy or um, any of that stuff. So we just sort of had to figure it out ourselves. Um, we can go back to that one later. Um, so then uh, the chintzies came and um, it was hard at first. Uh, we, my siblings and I stopped fighting which was really nice. And we did not get along with them so well because we didn't understand them and they didn't understand us. We were sarcastic New Yorkers. We were wilder. They were, had a different temperament and it was very hard to mesh two completely different families. We got along really well over the phone. We were all friends over the phone. I think that also made it harder because we started as friends and all of a sudden we're siblings and we're like, wait, you're still my friends. You're the same age as me. I don't want you here. Right. And like, you know what that happened? But like, in our minds, there's all this dynamic where we were, I don't know, just a weird mash, so close in ages. We we're all like little sets of non-biological twins. Like we line up, you know, all the same ages. Um, right. One of my sisters was literally four days younger than me. Wow. So yeah, we're all in different grades, but we, our ages all matched up. Uh, for the first three, and then the last two, the youngest boys were on their own. And it was tough. You know, there's a lot of arguing, bickering, fighting, not getting along. And then at some point, I, I think my siblings remember it the way I did, but in my mind, I realized that my parents, the thing is they had no idea what they're doing. Um, and understandably so, they were only in their 40s. But I, and they just took on like nine kids. It's like out of control. But at the time, I just thought they sucked. Like I hated, I was so mad right. at them. And I realized to me, they were the enemy. They were their enemy. My dad married this woman seven months after my mother died. She married my dad seven months after my mother died. They were leaving us to clean this house and try to prepare it for open houses to sell it. And they're off doing who knows what. And I think they were dealing with taxes and important business stuff. But, you know, as a kid, you're just like, where are you going? And how are you leaving me in charge of cleaning this house? And these kids, I don't know. And what are you doing? Right. <laughs> they just hated them. And so that made it easier and then they did a few things that I, yeah, won't mention that I, not, not just making us call it whatever, name stuff and whatever, things that just made it very difficult for us to um, exist harmoniously, you know, just things right. that made, made extra tension. And so because of that, I ended up getting along very well with my step-siblings because I found that we had a common enemy. At least so you got mom. along with your step-siblings because you all hated your parents. Yes. That's how I see it. Now, my siblings don't remember it that way but that's how I experienced okay. it. Okay, listen, everyone experiences the same situation differently. Yeah. Yes. You, you're, you're gonna approach, even if you have people who are literally in the, in the exact same situation, different people are gonna read it differently. Um, and I know now that you're super close with your siblings because you called him your younger brother before. And based on the breakdown that you just gave me, he was actually your stepbrother, right? The dentist? Correct, yes. Okay, so everyone's good now. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's always interesting when, when things like that happen, because what I find is that, like, just with my own experiences through my friends, is that, like, I have seen when blended families really don't work, and then, you know, the step-parents get divorced because their kids are just, like, really killing each other, and it's really not working, and in, in a weird way, the fact that, like, all of this upheaval was happening in all of your lives, like, yours and your step-siblings, and everyone that's really like that you you bonded over that you bonded over the fact that everyone was just kind of thrown into this situation that um 
that no one really liked. Out of curiosity, had your um, had your step siblings' father also passed away? He had, yes, and the and the experience was really difficult for them. And if you speak to one of my siblings, you'll get a whole different experience because they lived in California. Their father had passed away two years, two and a half years earlier. For them, the marriage was too soon. And so it was interesting because they would throw it in our face sometimes and we'd look at them like with this blank, like, are, are you for real right now? Right. Look. But on their end, they moved across the ocean from LA to New York. My parents were raising, again, nine kids. So they like wouldn't let them call LA because the phone bill was too high because back then they didn't have normal phone plans. So you have five kids who suddenly left all their friends, their immediate family, their support group that helped that now I understand it, that like helped them through the most trying time of their entire lives, you know, and they were now with complete strangers and who weren't getting along with them. And understanding that now I see how traumatic it was for them. So they had their own like their own side of the story, which right. is going to sound completely different than ours. Right. Well, again, everyone experiences things like this differently and everyone takes, um, everyone takes those experiences and they process them differently. People's brains are just different and they just, they, they, they just approach even the same exact situation, the same exact circumstances. You're going to get 10 different stories. Um, you mentioned your father's approach to therapy, which was that he was not a fan um, yes. I'm curious if you don't mind my asking, how long ago was this? Because I think that's an important little piece of information. Uh, my mother passed away in '93. Okay, so, so she was sick when I was seven. I was 11 then. Well, she was sick younger. I mean, but I knew about it when right. I was six or seven. So right. the math backwards would be 80, 87. Wait, 89. I want to say no. Okay, but basically in a time when, like, therapy is cool is only a recent thing. Like, I remember when, like, even I remember, like, as a high schooler, people didn't really, it wasn't something that you would talk about. If there was someone who did go to therapy, it was something that they were very secretive about. Um, like, I know even probably, like, oh, no, definitely within, like, the older cohorts of my family, there are people who would be like, oh, wow, you need to go to therapy? What's wrong? And I think that it's just true that among like people in our age group that we're just like, yeah, so you want to talk to someone. Great. Like people talk about their therapist, no problem. They'll, they'll share that. Um, oh yeah. My family members now, we sit around the table and one kid's talking about how they're depressed. I'm like, well, I'll, like raise your hands. By show of hands, who's on this? Like by right. show of hands, who's, <laughs> who's seeing so and so? Exactly. exactly. And, like, who's taking which anxiety meds? <laughs> You know, we're way more open about it. I think that has something to do with the fact that there's such a stigma when we're growing up, so we don't want them to have that. And we're like, no, we we know what life is like. Deal with this now so you don't carry these issues and make them worse. Right. You can be a better version of us. Right, exactly. You can you can do better. Do you um do you think that like do you think that therapy could have helped you as a kid? And that like do you feel like you were cheated out of it or is it, was it just something that wasn't an option? So, uh, you know, it's funny. Yes and no, but no, because here's the thing. So I don't know if it was effective, but I tend to analyze myself very, very well. And the reason I did that was because Ita, was, my sister, was really, really into therapy and psychology. And she would make me analyze myself 
and we became very, very close. She was, I became her confidant and she was mine and we were, you know, became best friends. And I think a lot of that had to do, I know a lot of that had to do with us sitting there and becoming very analytical together and dissecting ourselves together and using each other as therapists. So was that real therapy? Who can say? Um, but it definitely created a bond and a friendship that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So, you know, you I appreciate it in other ways. And I appreciate the benefit that not going through very had in my life just because I developed this crazy, awesome relationship with my sister that I got to have till she was 36, you know, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So yeah, I try not, you know, I find it hard to resent anything that led to something else that was good. That's a really great outlook to have in general, because also then it allows you to really appreciate the good. You know, if you, if you're resentful of the way that you got to it, then you're not really appreciating this amazing thing that you had this relationship with your sister this relationship with your step siblings and siblings and everyone like that is those are really great beautiful things and it it yeah life is complicated isn't it like just it complicated and messy um so i'm curious how like you mentioned that you were always into art from a very young age how and how did art become formalized you are an artist now that is your profession so i'm curious how that happened it was such a broken road. It's actually really funny. Uh, it happened through most of my father, I would say. When I was a little girl, I remember sitting at the dining room table one night and telling them they wanted to be a painter. Um, and I really pictured painting walls. You know, like I really didn't know what there was career-wise. Like I really just wasn't exposed to a lot of working women and, and didn't know what the options were out there. And I remember my dad would tell us about the Sistine Chapel and other art forms. And I really wanted to learn about them and see them. And he would buy me art supplies and encourage me to paint. And I think I once told you how he would buy me pastels, for example, and there were nine of us. And I was working very sparingly with the, the, with the, the pastels. And he's like, don't be afraid of color. Don't be afraid of color. Use it. And there were probably was a part of me that was afraid of using a lot of color and I was very dark and, and macabre at the time and I was really into darks and blacks. But it was, there was this element that he didn't know that I didn't want to use it up because it would cost him money. And I didn't know the next time I get a set from him, you know, I didn't know, right. to me, everything was so expensive, you know, in my mind. And, and anytime he bought something, it meant he was at work making the money to buy it. So I tried to conserve it. So I remember him sitting there with me, you like, don't be afraid of money. Like, of color, you know, layered on, but he would hone my skills and teach me how to draw eyes properly and, and shading and other things. And it wasn't until high school that I actually took uh, art lessons with um, this guy in Crown Heights, my brother, we would drive in there. And, and then I switched from private school to public school because I had a good art program and I wanted to build up my portfolio so I can get into art school because that at that point by high school already, even younger. I mean, elementary school, I knew that I wanted to be an artist. By junior high, I was doodling in my notebooks all day long. Like I could not see myself doing anything else. Like school studying was not for me. I barely even wanted to go to college. Um, I remember as a kid, I wanted to be an actress. And I was like, I don't need to go to college because I'm gonna be an actress. My dad, I could see his like heart just drop. Like, oh right. God. <laughs> it's like, please what don't do I that to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And so I switched to this high school to work on my portfolio to get into art school. And I was there for two years. And then at some point, I, I just, I had a lot of self-doubt, I mean, throughout my life. And my self-doubt resonated in, or manifested itself in that I couldn't see myself as an entrepreneur. I didn't see myself as someone who, how am I going to get into galleries? I'm a nobody. Like, how am I going to make it above everyone else who wants to be an artist? And I decided I had to use my art form, my art skills for something else more beneficial and a way to make a difference in society. And I was like, ah, who wants to just put a painting on the wall? Let me do something that's really going to impact society. So I ended up going to landscape architecture, thinking that if I designed spaces, I could really shape and benefit the outdoor spaces and usage for people and benefit their lives in a therapeutic and um, there's a word I'm looking for, but landscape architecture is basically the sculpting or, or designing of outdoor spaces. So you can create roads and highways and parks and, uh, public spaces and private properties. But I was more into the idea of doing the public spaces or city parks because I was still on this idea of creating a better world for people, a better life, better experience like art that people could live in basically yeah, exactly like functional art that you can live in and i loved it in theory but again my insecurity got to me and i didn't think i'd be good enough to design spaces properly and this is all nonsense i mean i this is when the therapy would have really yes. really helped this is imposter syndrome literally i think every single yes. person in their lives at some point goes through this and i have had this so intensely. I think that, uh, I'm going to say, I think that really every woman goes through this and I don't know what it is about the way that our brains are wired. Um, I had this so intensely with another fashion company. Um, I had seen their stuff on Instagram. I had seen their website. It was perfectly polished. It was beautiful. The videography was incredible. These photos and things they like, everything about her just looked, everything about this company, which I assumed by the way, was a 100 person company. just looked amazing and polished. And then it happened to be that I was at a trade show and I met this person. I met the person behind the company and she was literally exactly like me. She was a young girl about the same age as I was, you know, doing her best to get into stores and get people to come to her website and all of those things. Like she was literally, we could have been carbon copies of each other. (laughs) And I was going around feeling so inadequate just because she had paid way too much for photography literally like she just had these super intense photos um and i really and everyone goes through this i think that everyone has a point in time where they're like i i suck i suck everything that i do sucks everyone else around me has everything figured out everyone else around me knows exactly what they're doing um and i'm just improvising and doing my best to figure it out while everyone else just knows the right way like everyone else has a rule book that i don't have and the truth is that everyone is feeling that and it's so common, like in all of these interviews that I've done, that everyone is just feeling that everyone, everyone exactly. has those feelings. And like, and all the people that, listen, I know that there are people who are probably really jealous of where I am right now and announcement to the world. I'm improvising just as much as you are. We all are. We're all just, you know, trying to, to do our best to do our best. And, and, and that's what we always feel. Yeah, exactly. Even in my current career, you know, I, I see all these amazing other body painters or, or artist, and I, I'm waiting for someone to figure out that they're better than me, or that I'm, you know, right. making and them they're all along. exactly the same things. 
Exactly. So thinking exactly the same thing. So that's where the therapy really would have helped. I wish I had it back then. And, but then again, I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't right. go through all that. So you right. don't know. You don't know what would it be. Um, right. If you didn't so make why am I little... not speaking to Shelly, the landscape architect? Uh, because you got in your own way? Because I got in my own way. Yeah, 100%. And so, and then I was like working as an estimator. I hated it. I bad no numbers. I'm pretty sure I have dumber dyslexia or something. And it was just a ridiculous job for me. And I think I did because it was hard. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to prove to myself that I can do a job that I'm not meant to do. Right. And with silliness. And then the economy went kaputz in 2008. So everyone in landscape architecture and in my field got laid off in 2009. So there's some people are still doing it. Um, but a lot of us got laid off and then I was putzing around and I went through odd jobs here and there. And this is actually when I found myself because I ended up working the census and uh, canvassing neighborhoods um, for some political person who was running. And I figured out that I had a, the ability to go up to complete strangers and talk to them about something and not intimidate them and not scare them and have them open their door to me and thank me when I left. And I realized that I had something special that I was small and little and cute and not intimidating. And I was able to approach complete strangers without them feeling threatened. And once I then stumbled into learning how to draw caricatures, I was able to use that skill and realize I can go to people's homes. I can sit down in their living room and draw them. They will let me in and they will not be afraid of this person they're letting into their house. And I actually think that I have a perfect combination of talent and appearance to do this job very well because people see me and they smile and they're like, oh, she's so cute and little. I'm not afraid of her. I'll let her into my house. Like I've never met her before. And obviously they'll let anyone in who is doing the profession, but I think that there, in my mind, I felt there was a comfort in not being intimidating. For You're people. probably because, right about that. You know, subconsciously people like see you and their, their minds like make assumptions immediately on first glance. Right. And I felt that I would be successful because I had a very non-intimidating appearance. And I felt that that would make people more willing to be like, oh yeah, I'm comfortable with this person. She's non-threatening. I will absolutely, you know, step inside, come draw us, come paint us, come make balloons. You're, you're little and not scary at all. Right. So, and then just realizing that people are people and this ability to have conversations with people for small amounts of times and then be all phone on my way. I realized I really like that, <laughs> you know, you know, not having to I mean, you do have long-term relationships. There are clients I've had for years, but I realized that I was good with the small bursts of interaction. Um, my clients all changing day to day. And I realized that this whole um, career was good for me. I fell into it because my dad was like, so get a job. Um, mm -hmm. Except don't get a job. And mm -hmm. I, well, there's a long story. It's actually kind of funny. I was really good friends with this girl. And she was a model or striving to be a model. She was tall, 5'11". And she had gotten body painted. And she was like, Shelly, I get body painted by these artists. Um, back then, they're twins. Now it's just one, unfortunately. But the 
Wolf Brothers and they painted me at these conventions and it's so much fun and you should totally get painted. And I knew nothing about body painting except for the Pink Floyd poster that was on my wall, my brother's wall actually, and the online photos of people camouflaged into the backgrounds and of course Sports Illustrator uh, right. where they have the instance painted on. And I thought it was awesome. I thought it was super cool, but I knew nothing besides that. And so at the time I said, I am four, nine and a half. Nobody wants to paint me. What is wrong mm. with you? Now, what I didn't know was that for competitions, I'm perfect because the less surface you have to paint in the speed competition, the better. Oh, that's actually uh, a very good point. Yes, little teeny petite uh, humans are the best. Although there was one guy um, who also passed away, unfortunately. And he was one of the favorites to paint. He's huge muscle-bound bodybuilder. It's actually, I think, we think why he passed away. But he was also a favorite, but he was a lot of canvas. We need to splatter paint this. We need to <laughs> yeah, cover this quickly. Yeah, he was not so great for the speed painting competitions, but uh, he was great. And great guy. Um, but that's that. So when she told me this idea, I had taken a break from art. I had studied landscape architecture, got laid off, was canvassing. And I was like, oh my God, I was an artist. And I was like, I missed that. I should be an artist again. And so I was like, I'm going to learn how to body paint. That sounds really cool. But I didn't know how to go about doing it. So instead of asking someone who does it, as I would now, now I'm like, I'll, I want to do something. I'll just call someone. Hey, you don't know me, but you do this thing. And I want to learn how to do it. How do I do it? Right. So, or I'll Google. Everything's Google at this point. Yeah, exactly uh, the same. Everyone's like, how do you know how to use Photoshop? And I was like, well, I try to do something. And then it's like, how to change background color in Photoshop? Google, yes, go. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I get stuck, Google. Absolutely. Right. Um, Google makes me an expert at everything. It's amazing. Exactly. So, exactly. so at the time I didn't have, you know, Facebook wasn't as prevalent. I didn't have as much guts as I do now. So I went on Craigslist and I started, you know, searching for airbrushing and painting. And I found a, interviews at Six Flags and they were, air, they, were, they were interviewing for airbrush artists. I thought if I learn how to airbrush, I'll body paint or face paint, I'll body paint. So they, I got there and like, wait, you're an artist. We need artists to draw. Can you do caricatures? And I'd spent so much money over the years between college and the student art league, learning how to sculpt uh, stone and taking stained glass classes. And I was like, you know what? You're going to pay me to draw, to draw. You're going to pay me to learn how to do this. Yeah. I'm on board. So sounds like a good plan. Yeah. So I drove there, um, three times a week and what I made sort of touched what I made in gas, you know, what I paid for in gas, you know, to get there and tolls, but to me it was totally worth it. I loved doing it, but I didn't feel like I was getting much out of the job. And this, the, it was a bad year for that, for the company. And um, the rules were ridiculous. And I think I went like nine hours or 10 hours without peeing. And I was like, I'm done. Like, oh my I'm God. Done. How is that yeah. legal? It was whatever. It was a mess. So I, well, I had driven there, had to rush to my station. So I didn't have a chance to use the bathroom before I started. And then I was on working like, six or seven hours and then I had to stop and talk to them for a while and I was like because there's an issue with the money I I wrote that I had more money no less money in the account than I actually had I actually had more money in my account something that's the missing and they, they gave this whole lecture that I can't do that I'm like but there's more money like I'm obviously not stealing like what is the right. problem right. so I think at that point like I was just like I'm done 
Right. I quit. Like, done. This is no longer working for me. Goodbye. So I started training myself. I was drawing in coffee shops and my nail salon or anywhere I was, I was drawing people and they were not good at first. And I took out a booth on the boardwalk and then I split with one of my sisters who was selling her glassware at the time. And she it was funny because she was like, you know what you should do? You should face paint. And I was like, yes, yes, I should. That was the point. I want to face paint and then body paint. Right. Remember the plan. Right. <laughs> so, um, so the, yeah, then I got into face painting. I taught myself with that. Got involved in the guild who taught me the right materials and the right products to buy and gave me a lot of great tips and set me up with a whole network of artists that I could exchange jobs with. And when I was still, I was still looking for my jobs on Craigslist and um, the Five Town Jewish Shoals. Do you remember that? Like there was a. Oh website. yeah, the Yahoo group. Yes. Do you remember so, Yahoo groups? Oh gosh, yeah. Those are so lovely. Oh I yeah, when you could like send those, um, like those things out till you know, and then there would be like for each community would have one. There was a Five Towns one. There was a Kew Garden Hills one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Blast from the past. <laughs> yes. So I got all my gigs through there and they all wanted you to be a face painter and balloon twister. So people, uh, whenever they see me painting, like run face painting, people don't really ask as much. Sometimes they'll ask, you know, how I got into it. Makeup artists will ask me how I got into it. But when I'm twisting, people are like, how did you learn this? Like, <laughs> because I do crazy intricate designs that people are just like, I don't understand. Like, how did you even realize you'd be good at this? Because I put them together like sculptures. And right. I explained, I was like, well, I was looking, I was a face painter. I wanted to be a body painter. And on these lists, people were like, I have 10 kids. I want a face painter and balloon twister package. So I don't have to pay for two people. And I was, so I said yes to one of them. And then I was like, okay, better learn how to balloon twist. <laughs> so, oh, wait, now we need to learn how to do this thing. Yeah. So I went out and bought a bag of balloons. And but at that point, I was so poor that like, I remember not even wanting to practice because I didn't want to use up my resource, like my, my, my product. Right. Now it's a joke because my entire place is like flooded with balloons. And I have so many, <laughs> like I use them up at my family events just to get rid of them. Like it's so much. Because <laughs> um, you don't work as a balloon twister anymore. No, I do. I do. Just, um, I, I one time saw myself as doing balloon decorations. So I like just all this stuff. I things are so old that they pop. Like I was, I don't use them for clients, but I use them for my family. Like I was using right. them when I was so old and I was like, good, like let's, we have to divide these out. The ones I can make sculptures for your family. So as you, they pop, you just throw them away. Who cares? And the ones that like, when you're time, you know, the fresh ones for clients, you know, gotta right. keep them separate. Very important. Cause they go bad. And when my sister was like, wait, they go bad. I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I better give you the ones I've been hoarding. I was like, yes, they, they, <laughs> do they they're biodegradable they don't last oh i didn't know the balloons were biodegradable i thought they were plastic no they're latex yeah. well the, the latex balloons yeah they're biodegradable people don't know that the oh. mylar ones are are not right those like, so, big tip oily ones those right are so not. those are the ones that like you fill up with helium and those yeah those, some mylar are not meant for helium at all um oh. yeah i feel like i have mistreated some balloons in my day it depends on the, on the ones, like the stars, like they'll tell you some of them are not meant for helium. Huh. I think it'll okay. take it. They're just not going to last as long, you know, whatever. Okay. Well, either way. Um, so you, so you start doing the, the face painting, the balloon twisting, and then become like, uh, you know, doing these parties and, and yes. getting stuff together. Now you're a fine artist. Like you do these beautiful paintings that are, they're intricate and stunning. I have had the pleasure of watching you work in restaurants. Um, 
when you were doing something in my hood and that was so cool to watch um to see you work so what was the transition like from you know balloon twisting face painting to real fine artist you have your your pieces displayed in restaurants and things like that so i have to thank a friend of mine stephanie actually for that and benny and uh leslie and i did in that order because i was doing i was becoming well known for this design that I do on kids' arms, um, graffiti names, where I would take a multicolor paintbrush, like a paintbrush that had multicolors on it, and I would sweep it in these messy letter shapes, and then I would outline them and add graffiti patterns to them and create graffiti style names on people's arms. And Benny and Hafter were looking for someone to do a mural in their STEM lab and then their computer lab, and they wanted a graffiti style artist to do it. And I had been wanting to get back into fine art. Uh, Stephanie and I knew each other while we were in school, high school, and then college. We were both studying art. She was studying um, textile design, and I was studying, and fashion, and I was studying, no, I think she studied textile design, I believe. And she did installations, these beautiful installations. Now she's a beautiful interior decorator. And I was studying fine art, and she was like, oh yeah, Benny, my friend, Shelly, she does, um, knows how to do graffiti, call her. So they hired me to do these murals for the school. And that was, I think, if I recall, my first professional mural painting that I got paid for. I could be forgetting something from before that, but I feel like that was like the first professional painting that I got paid for to do. How long ago was was that? That was, I believe, I want to say two or three summers ago. Um, we should say that we're recording this in December of 2019 if anyone's listening yeah so So you've been doing it for about two years now I remember it was Labor Day Labor Day two or three summers ago hold on there was that thing and that thing it was two summers ago okay so and now three Three. Okay. Well, in the time since, you've really established yourself as a fine artist, as someone who does these beautiful, beautiful pieces. Did your style need to change at all? Like, did you feel like you needed to clean it up to be like fancy gallery type? Or did you just keep doing what you had always been doing? To be honest, I still haven't had a gallery show, which is so weird. But that has to do with the shyness of me. And I still need to just do that. And I'm sure that I can. I just, you know, there's that. um, I just haven't put one together yet. Um, but, um, I'm still refining it always. I mean, I look at stuff and every time I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, a two-year-old can do this. <laughs> you know, like oh, there's, that, go through that. there's that imposter syndrome. So my style is constantly changing. One of the things that I tend to do, which I'm really trying to stay clear of, but I, I really have t- trouble breaking away from this is that I love so many styles and I love so many different forms of art that I don't have a series yet. Um, I'm starting to build series, but I jump around so much that there's so many different styles and so many different things I do. I have a lot of abstract styles. I have a lot of, you know, some are impressionism, some's abstract, a lot of it's abstract. I tend to lend myself towards, I can't explain it really. It's like, I don't even know how to explain this. Like some of the stuff is, you know, there are figures in it that are real looking, but then there's an abstract quality to it. Or your your pieces always have a whimsicalness to it. Yes. Like even if you have a really realistic figure, one of my favorite paintings of yours is, um, I think you did it for Hindi's libraries, and that was the girl who's holding the book, and then there's um, like all the rainbow and colors exploding out of the book. 
Oh, no, no, uh, you're confusing two different. Oh, oh, yes. Am I confusing two different No, things? you're not. You're not. Okay. You're talking about the painting, the painting that I donated. Yes. Yeah. So, like, that to me is like, that, that's a really beautifully drawn girl. And then there's this huge abstract quality to, you know, her world is exploding out of the book that she's reading. And, and you can really, like, it makes perfect sense for the client, which was um, a children's library, like a free book exchange. Um, so, like, there's always this, even if you're doing something that has realism in it, there's always going to be something that's a little fanciful. I like that. Yes, that's a great way to describe it. Definitely. So, yeah, it's it's a very cool vibe that you have in, in all of your work. And you yourself are just, like, a cool person. Um, you. <laughs> you are. I like you, too. Um, <laughs> let's be friends. Um, <laughs> I, I, this was so great, Shelly. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. If someone wants to see more of your work or learn more about what you do, where can they see that? So I am in the process of building my website. And by that I say, I mean, I bought it and I need to actually make it. Um, and that'll <laughs> most likely be ShellyWapniak.com. And a lot of my stuff right now is on Facebook. Find me, Shelly Wapniak. I have some fan pages that I do not manage at all. So just friend me, look at my stuff, it's public. And also Instagram, especially. I put a lot of things in my stories and then I try to post um, as much as I can be diligent about it. I'm um, at Shelly Wapniak is one of my Instagrams. That's S H E L L E Y W A P is in Peter N I A K. And I do have another one for my body paint only. So if you blush easily, don't go on it. But it's Body Paint NY. So Body Paint New York, Body Paint NY. And I mean, it's really people just covered in paint. They don't look new, they look like they're in paint, but or clothes that are colorful and crazy. So anyone can go on it really. But I kept that separate because I have. Um, certain clientele that I felt would not be comfortable with it. So I wanted it on a separate. Okay. Page. I hear that. And I do encourage you, if you're not someone who blushes easily, check out the Body Paint NY account because it's freaking awesome. It's very cool. Um, and all of that is going to be linked in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about Shelly, you can access that information oh. easily there. Um, did I forget Wait. something? Yeah, I can actually, you can also see me for a short stint on Netflix, uh, Skin Wars season three. Oh yes we didn't even talk about that skin wars season know, three totally forgot but you were asked yeah <laughs> it's i totally forgot about it yes um watch watch it it's very cool season three shelly has the best purple hair ever um and it's awesome you'll you'll know who she is right away so yes definitely um uh, definitely take the time to check that out i will link that as well um and it's on netflix right yes it is it's on netflix okay. occasionally it's on hulu but right now it's on netflix i believe right. it's still available Okay, great. So I am going to link that on Netflix as well. Uh, Shelly, the last thing that I always ask everyone who comes on the show is that I want to know from you um, in, in your personal life, in your work, in the way that you carry yourself through the world, what does it mean to you to make an impact? Hmm. For me, making an impact is leaving an impression on people, changing their world, changing their view, or just making them feel something intense that they needed my help to get there. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Shelly. You too. Enjoy. Bye. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You can access the show notes by swiping up on the cover art. You'll find all of Shelly's sites and links there. 
to hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive, modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. It really helps. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>